It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And we're back with another Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Well, here's some great news for families who receive CAP scholarship assistance in paying for childcare through the Federal Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. DECAL has allocated around $95 million to help eligible Georgia families negatively impacted by the pandemic pay for their childcare. Commissioner, we're using this historic investment in early learning to support families through a special initiative we call access. Yes, it was really important for us to ensure that with these additional dollars from um, our friends in the federal government that we did something to support families, uh, specifically those families that are using CAP scholarships to um, help pay for child care. And so we're really excited we're able to provide this for uh, about 50,000 children, which I know we'll learn more about in the podcast today. Exciting news and joining us to talk about access and the CAPS program is Elizabeth Casper, Deputy Commissioner of CAPS, and Carolyn Morka, CAPS Family Support Manager. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here this morning. So, Elizabeth, the big news here is CAPS Family Fees, the portion of child care paid for by families, will be waived through October 2nd, 2022. That's pretty big news. Yeah, this is exciting. CAPS is paying all tuition and family fees. We're paying uh, each childcare program's full published rate um, until October of 2022. Um, Providers still can charge their transportation, meal, or field trip type fees, but CAPS is paying for all the tuition. And we do want to clarify, and you just did, that that does not include some of these special fees, transportation, meal fees, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's correct. So lots of childcare programs charge um, an activity fee. Sometimes they charge a materials fee. They charge transportation fees or meal fees or field trip fees. Um, and those would not be covered by CAPS because those are not typically covered. Um, we typically cover a portion of tuition and with access, we're covering all of tuition and family fees. Well, Carolyn, talk about the CAPS fees involved here. You have a base rate, a differential, and a family fee. Can you walk us through that? Sure, absolutely. Well, Commissioner, as you know, families participating in the CAPS program share in the cost of paying for childcare. Now, the amount they pay is based on their income and their household size. That fee is referred to as the family fee. But families are also responsible for paying another fee, which is the differential. And that's the difference between the amount their provider charges and the amount that CAPS will pay. Those two fees combined is known as, their, as the parent weekly responsibility. And under the access initiative, those fees will be waived through October 2nd, 2022. But to put this in context um, and just kind of to look at 
the savings that our families are receiving through the access benefit, we have a fun fact here. According to the Child Care Web of America, the average annual price for full-time infant care for one year is about $8,700. If we use this fact for families participating in the CAPS program receiving the access benefit, they will save about $1,800 annually, which is a huge savings, especially given the fact that CAPS is an income-based program for low-income families. And that's significant, $1,800 uh, a year per child. That's, that's fantastic. Carolyn, I want you to, to remind us of something. And if, if they've seen their video, we've got a video on our YouTube channel about access that explains it. Remind us again, what do families have to do in order to receive this benefit from access? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I love that. So as long as they're on in the program and then any new families that become part of uh, CAPS, again, this is for them uh, if they qualify and it's good through October of 2022. Absolutely. Yes. Well, that is great news. And response from providers and families has been great. We talked with Fanny Bivens, Center Director at Rainbow Academy of Learning in Decatur. That's a two-star quality-rated program that also offers Georgia's pre-K program. And here's what she had to say. We were thrilled. We were happy. We were excited about the news. It was unbelievable to many of our families. And to say that they were overjoyed would be an understatement. Many of them could not believe that they no longer would have to worry about child care expenses until October 2022. My mother described receiving the access news as receiving a Christmas gift in May, and that was a great way to describe it. It was an unexpected gift. It was a welcome gift. It was a needed gift. And to have the stress of child care expense being lifted from the shoulders of so many working mothers throughout Georgia simply was very hard to even put into words. A large percentage of our families here at Rainbow receive CAP scholarships and they also have co-payments. A large percentage of our parents also are working single mothers. And as a single mother, access has allowed them to have more disposable funds more disposable money to take care of basic living expenses that many people take for granted, such as providing housing, a roof over their children's head, transportation back and forth to work, healthy food for their children to eat, unexpected medical expenses that often occurs when you have young children. And as a single working mother, you know every dollar counts. So access was a welcome financial relief for our families. So to go back to the original question, at Rainbow Academy, we and our families responded with pure joy to the news about access. Access has allowed us as a child care center to keep our doors open. We no longer have to worry about collecting co-payments from parents who are already financially strapped from trying to make ends meet. Parents no longer have to hide from us because they do not have their weekly co-payment because of some unexpected emergency. 
Because of access, we now have a steady flow of income. And that has allowed us and will allow us to keep our doors open and continue to provide quality childcare to our parents and to our community. And I must also say that it was a bold step and a bold message that DCAP made with access by alleviating such a major financial burden of childcare from the shoulders of so many working mothers. I believe that in order to fully open the state's economy and get parents back to work, we had to address the issue of quality childcare for working mothers impacted by the pandemic. And Access made a major step in addressing this issue. So we are thankful for Access and we're going to be okay. Thank you. And we also heard from Stacy Gooden, a two-star quality-rated family child care learning home provider in Stone Mountain, who had this to say. The SS program is an awesome program that allows the parents to be able to save extra money to do other things with their kids. They are excited about it. Um, the response is good. So thank y'all for all the work that y'all are doing and the life of our community and our parents and just for the kids itself. Thank you. Our thanks to Stacy and Fanny for those comments. I don't think uh, we could have said it any better. And you're hearing firsthand from providers about the access program. Uh, Carolyn, what are you hearing from families? Well, I'll share the context of a conversation that I had with a parent who called me a couple of days ago. And her first question to me was, is this real? <laughs> and so I assured her that the access initiative is real, um, what we cover, what the parent responsibility would be. And she was very emotional because she shared the impact that COVID has had on her personally um, and her financial situation. So she was so appreciative um, that access is that access exists right now to assist families like her. Um, I've also had some of the consultants share that, you know, families, as they're talking about the access initiative, families are saying things like they're blessed, um, that they're really happy, uh, and that it's a relief for them. Um, just again, because of the impact COVID has had, or their financial situation has just changed. Mm -hmm. So they're very appreciative. Uh, it's it's funny when you think about the relationship that we have with our our clients and the families that we serve. This is one of those moments where I I think you're really finding that our our consultants, our folks uh, at the office, are feeling just as uh, special and and blessed by the opportunity to to provide this as the families receiving it, and it's. Um, it's historic. There's no question about it. And the opportunity to do this is rare. Um, but what a great moment uh, in time uh, at the end of this pandemic or as we're kind of coming out of it to be able to offer something like this. Uh, Carolyn, let's back up just a minute for those who may not have heard about CAPS before and they're kind of going, what? I can get help with child care? Explain how it helps eligible families in Georgia pay for their child care. So, CAPS, which is Child Care and Parent Services, um, the program, we assist families 
um, with paying for the cost of quality childcare. Um, for eligibility purposes, let's look at two things. We'll look at, at initial eligibility and that redetermination. Um, so in order to participate in the CAPS program during initial eligibility, families must meet certain criteria. One is they would have to fit into one of the 12 priority groups. Um, an example would be families experiencing domestic violence or families transitioning um, from the TANF program, um, which are just two of the categories, but there are 12 priority groups would have to meet an activity requirement, which is either working 24 hours a week, um, they're in school 24 hours a week, or there's a combination of the two. And then they would have to meet the income requirement. And for initial income, that's going to be 50% of the state median income. Um, so for an example, a household size of four can earn um, just um, around $40,000 a year, which is 50% of the state median income, but this same family at redetermination can earn um, about $68,000, which is 85% of the state median income. Now, at redetermination, though, the families do not have to meet a priority group but they do have to meet the income and activity requirements. I wanna add here that CAPS is available in all 159 counties in the state of Georgia. So we have the entire state covered. Well, Elizabetta, we serve around 50,000 CAPS kids at any given time. Will this new money expand that number at all? The funding that's allocated to access is to cover tuition for all the families who are in the CAPS program. So that won't change our overall number of children served. However, DECAL is considering other initiatives that might increase the number of children that CAPS supports. And can a family uh, that receives CAPS choose any childcare provider? Yes, a family with CAPS scholarships can select any CAPS eligible childcare provider. That includes licensed programs, childcare learning centers, and family childcare learning homes, as well as a couple of categories of license exempt, which are day camps and government owned and operated programs. And let me tag on to that, Elizabeth. What if a childcare provider is listening today? How do you become a CAPS uh, provider? Generally, it happens when a family selects you if you weren't already in our program, but you can, and especially with this initiative, um, you can just contact our state payment agent, and that is Maximus, and there's information on our website, the CAPS website, to find out how to contact them, and you can fill out the enrollment paperwork to become a CAPS provider. Okay. Great. There are a lot of things we could have done with the $95 million. Why do we think this was the best use of this money? Because it provides significant support to families so they can direct their resources towards other needs that they may have. Families were hit hard by the pandemic, and this relieves them of needing to pay for childcare for almost a year and a half. 
Plus, this initiative helps not only families, but it actually also benefits, has benefits for childcare providers since they're getting one payment from one source, relieving some of their administrative burden that's associated with tuition collection. Well, Elizabeth, since March of 2020, DECAL has waived certain CAPS policies to support families and childcare providers impacted by COVID-19. Now we're here June 2021. What is the status on those waivers? Several of them are actually still in place. Aside from our access initiative and related policy waivers to that, CAPS is continuing to pay for children, whether they are present or absent, as long as they've attended in person at least once since having an active scholarship at a program. And for families, we're still waiving the activity requirement at their annual redetermination or renewal if they have experienced a pandemic-related job loss or hours reduction. And of course, we will still allow alternate methods for childcare programs for documenting children's arrival and departure at the program to help protect both families and childcare staff um, and their health. So Carolyn, summer is here. Families may be looking into summer camps. Is that something that CAPS can help with uh, as far as that expense goes? Absolutely. So this is just um, another way CAPS support their families. So when school is out for the summer, um, parents can choose to send their child to a summer camp. And the additional benefit this year is the access um, initiative will cover um, the, the tuition or the parent weekly responsibility for this year and also for next summer. We talk a lot about two-gen programs that support both the child and their families. Elizabeth and Carolyn, do you see CAPS as a two-gen program? And if so, how? Absolutely. A two-generational approach means that it helps to support both the parent and the child. CAPS helps the child by ensuring they have access to high quality early learning experiences. As you know, all eligible childcare providers participating in CAPS will be required to be quality rated by the end of this year. And that will mean that all children with CAPS scholarships are attending high quality childcare programs. CAPS helps the parent by providing financial assistance to help pay the cost of childcare and by connecting families with other resources and supports. Carolyn, do you want to share more about what family support staff in CAPS do in the two-gen realm? Yes, absolutely. So in thinking about how we um, support our families, I look at the fact that we have a comprehensive approach to supporting families. So we don't just support the child that's receiving the scholarship, but we also support the parent um, again, in their goals of becoming self-sufficient, um, one example that comes to mind is we may have a parent who has decided to attend school during the day, and they're going to work non-traditional hours, and they need support for their children during the non-traditional hours. And so CAPS will support that parent, um, whichever provider they choose during those non-traditional hours. Um, scholarships um, will be available to the parent um, for that. And it gives the parent a peace of mind knowing that they're able to um, work on their educational goals, which helps them become more self-sufficient, especially if they're working toward a bachelor's degree 
um, they hopefully will be able to earn a greater wage once they're done, but they have peace of mind knowing that their child is in a safe, high quality early learning environment. One other thing I wanna mention here is that um, CAPS is always reviewing and updating policy. I mentioned the bachelor's degree because that was a new um, activity that was added a few years ago. And so again, if families are looking to become self-sufficient, they may choose the route of obtaining an associate's or a bachelor's degree. Perhaps recognizes that as an activity. So parents could um, be a full-time student and still receive CAPS benefits. So we definitely try to, to work with the family as well as link and refer to resources as needed. And just one other thing to mention here that we will soon be implementing the family-centered coaching model, which basically is individualized family-focused support. Um, and that puts the family um, in the driver's seat um, in terms of what their needs are and in terms of how we can support them as an agency. And so there's more to come on that. But again, that feeds right into the two-gen approach as we are supporting families, not only in the CAPS um, department, but also as an agency. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great news. It's called Access for Awarding Child Care Education Scholarship Supplements. And the big headline again, families with CAP scholarships pay no tuition until October 2022. If you'd like more information on the CAPS program and access, you can go to caps.decal.ga.gov or call 1-833-4-GA-CAPS. That's 1-833-442-4. 2277. And again, our thanks to child care providers uh, sharing stories with us today. Fanny Bivens, the Center Director at Rainbow Academy of Learning in Decatur, and Stacy Gooden, a uh, family child care learning home provider in Stone Mountain. Elisabetta and Carolyn, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Now a decal download extra, an expert in microbiology and immunology at Mercer University School of Medicine, says employees should feel comfortable returning to their new normal, especially if they've been vaccinated. Dr. Amber Schmidtke, who worked in public health at the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta before becoming an educator, was recently interviewed for a decal all-staff webinar responding to questions raised in the recent COVID-19 employee survey. We talked with Dr. Schmidtke about how Georgia is doing now with COVID-19. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you. I think it's great what I said in the introduction that you have found a way to sort of take the very technical jargon that we hear related to COVID-19 and sort of translate it for the, the common person who's just trying to figure this whole thing out in these unprecedented times, as we like to say. Is that how it sort of started for you? Did you set out to do something like this? 
Uh, yeah, definitely no. Um, <laughs> I'm usually a pretty quiet person. Um, but I've been doing this kind of, you know, translating stuff for friends for years when they had weird infections or they had questions about whether to vaccinate their kids for certain things. Um, I've always been that resource. And last year I was sort of the infectious disease person at Mercer. Um, and I, as the pandemic was approaching the United States and we now had cases in, in America and in Georgia, I had 60 medical students who were scared and looking at me for answers as well as faculty and staff. And um, I just kind of looked left and right and saw that the CDC wasn't really talking and some of the other people weren't that we normally trust weren't really talking. And I was like, I think I have a role here. And so I started small with, with Mercer and, and taking care of that community and also my friends and family and really anybody who would listen. And then it's just just sort of snowballed from there and, and gained in popularity. That's great. And something that I think is badly needed uh, in times like these, you need a calming voice, someone who's speaking from uh, a position of understanding what this is all about. So glad to have you here uh, with us today. And we've certainly enjoyed working with you uh, along the way. So, so where is Georgia now? How would you describe where we are now in terms of case trends? We're doing really well as a state compared to where we were four months ago. Um, you know, we've come down a long way and in many ways that has a lot to do with the vaccine. Um, and so we're really grateful for that. Um, we're starting to, this is around the time though, last year that we saw the summer surge begin. And so we're all sort of on the lookout for signs that they, that may be happening. Last year, it was about two to three weeks after uh, Memorial Day holidays. And we're right in that range now. So if we're expecting to see something as a result of that, this would be around the time that we're, we would see that. And we are starting to see a little bit of an uptick in rural counties um, in Georgia, both in terms of case rates as well as death rates. Um, and so it's concerning because those communities don't have real high vaccination rates um, to know, you know, is this the start of something big or is this just more noisy variation? Recommendations about protecting against COVID-19, they change frequently, uh, and they have over time. What's your best advice uh, today? Well, you know, that's the thing about science is the more we learn about something, the, the that changes our perspective on how things work and our recommendations going forward. So I know it's frustrating to hear the guidance change, but a lot of it is evidence-based. And as we gather information, that's what drives this. Um, right now, the very best thing you can do to prevent COVID-19 infection is get vaccinated. Um, and, you know, we're... Uh, we, we are very lucky to have not just one, but three very good vaccines available for use in the United States. Um, and they're available at every major pharmacy, grocery stores, um, public health departments, that sort of thing. Um, if you're in a position where you can't be vaccinated, maybe you're, you have an immunocompromising condition or medical condition that would prevent you from doing so, then you're really kind of stuck um, still using those non-pharmaceutical interventions that we've been relying on this whole time. So things like wearing a mask, social distancing, staying home when you're not feeling well, um, practicing good cough and sneeze hygiene, along with washing your hands frequently. Always remembering uh, those very basic things, I guess, that uh, we should be doing all the time, but definitely have learned uh, in the year 2020 and now into 2021. Well, uh, as you know, uh, we've uh, done a survey of uh, our team here at DECAL, and we've gotten their feedback about COVID-19 concerns. And we thought we would just take uh, a little time here to ask the questions uh, that we've lifted from the survey from our team, uh, concerns about returning to the office and our new normal in this post-pandemic world. So 
Let's just dive in and uh, hit the first one is, what should I know about being in small or enclosed spaces with my coworkers, spaces such as cubicles, elevators, and conference rooms? Okay, well, the, the thing that we've learned a lot in this pandemic is that air quality matters a whole lot and air ventilation matters a whole lot. So being in the small enclosed space is one of the higher risk situations that we can be in, um, but there are steps that you can take to prevent infection. And again, get vaccinated. Um, if you are vaccinated, you have very little risk of getting sick in that situation. Um, and so that's that should provide really big reassurance. Um, but if you know that somebody in your group is not vaccinated, it might be wise to go ahead and wear a mask um, and remain as spaced out as you possibly can, open a window if it's possible. Um, but those are some of the steps that you can take to make it a safer environment. All right, very good. Next question, uh, what does the science say about vaccinated and unvaccinated adults interacting? If I'm vaccinated, should I be worried about spreading the virus to unvaccinated people? For the most part, no. Um, the thing that we worry about is this new Delta variant and other variants that may emerge. Um, and if you know that somebody around you is in, in a high risk situation, maybe they're immunocompromised or they're being treated for cancer or things like that, um, you know, it's just basic consideration to look out for their safety and well being um, to go ahead and wear that mask. Um, but, uh, you know, yes, if you are fully vaccinated, it's very unlikely you're going to get sick. And it's even less likely that you're going to have a viral load high enough in order to transmit to others. So you should feel relatively safe. Um, in doing so. But I, again, I think that basic human consideration and kindness can go a long way here. Absolutely. If I'm vaccinated, am I protected against the variants that we're reading and hearing about? So far, yes. Um, the vaccines provide very good protection against the variants so far, especially the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, there's some evidence that the um, Johnson & Johnson vaccine is not quite as good at preventing infection with these things, but you still don't see severe cases that result in hospitalization or death. Um, so that's reassuring. But I will say that we're pressing our luck in some ways because um, Every time we let the virus uh, transmit, you know, freely throughout a community, uh, it has new opportunities to evolve and to mutate. And so when you see, you know, the lifting of restrictions or other things, um, we sort of are giving the virus new opportunities to do that. And eventually our luck may run out where an, a variant emerges that does, that does confer um, resistance to the vaccinations. Another question about face coverings, and that's come up quite a bit uh, over the past year. Should I wear a face covering the entire time when working in the decal office or visiting a child care provider? If it's a cubicle sort of situation, it may be in your best interest to go ahead and wear that mask. If you're in an office with a door, that's kind of up to you, of course. Um, when you're going into a child care setting, I would recommend wearing a mask for two reasons. First of all, it shows the it models the behavior we want to see in our kids, right? So that's a big thing. But the other thing is that children under the age of 12 are not currently eligible for any of the vaccinations. So they remain a vulnerable population that we need to serve and protect. Um, and so I think that for those two reasons, I would go ahead and continue to wear masks in, in the childcare settings. Overall, how risky is it for me to be working in an office setting if I'm vaccinated or if I'm unvaccinated and if I have an underlying medical condition? 
Okay, so lots to unpack here, right? So if you are fully vaccinated, you should be good to go. That's the easy one. If you are unvaccinated, you are less safe. Um, and there's no, I'm not gonna dodge around that. You are less safe. And so if you have previously been infected, but are unvaccinated, there's a pretty good chance you still have adequate protection. Um, but it's always a good idea to go ahead and get that vaccine um, just so that you have that baseline level of protection that we know is going to confer long lasting immunity. And when you have an underlying medical condition, first of all, I hope you've been vaccinated if you're able to do so in coordination with your physician. Um, if you aren't for whatever reason, um, please go ahead and consider doing that or um, you're gonna need to continue to rely on those non-pharmaceutical interventions. But again, consult with your physician, because if you find that you're in a position where really no interaction like that is safe, um, then that's going to mean that you have to make different choices when it comes to the workplace. Um, and so again, I would just confer with your doctor, um, see what they have to say about your unique medical needs um, to make sure that you can do your work safely um, as much as possible. You know, another question that came up in the survey, how long does the virus live on surfaces like my desk? The copy machine, doorknobs, do these need to be disinfected on a regular basis? So in some ways, I think we've overdone it with the cleaning stuff, but I think it's great, right? Everything is really clean. And so we've seen infections like um, uh, influenza drop significantly. Um, some of our diarrheal diseases have dropped down significantly too, because things are a lot cleaner, which is great. Um, so I don't want us to go back to living in filth, <laughs> but what I will say is that I think that um, we don't need to be cleaning things hourly or after every, every person touches something. Um, I think that it's adequate to clean those surfaces once a day. Um, in the early days, when we didn't have a lot of information, it looked like the vir viral particles could survive on non-living surfaces for as long as three days. Um, but that has not proven to be a primary route of infection for COVID-19. The benefit I think here really is preventing all those other things. We had the mildest flu season I think we've had in generations um, this year. And that's really great because that disease kills people too. Um, so there's something to be said for the things that we've learned in this pandemic that I hope we can continue to do in the future. Yeah, you know, it's the, the benefit is the offices have never looked better <laughs> because we've been cleaning on a regular basis. Um, we are almost out of time. I wanted to throw you one of my classic curveball questions, not uh, on the script today, but I'm just interested with everyone that you talk to uh, about this subject. What's the number one misconception that you hear about COVID-19 and, and the things we should or should not be worried about? I think the thing that has kind of struck me the most is the attitude that the virus doesn't matter. Um, you know, you'll hear somebody say, but 99% of people survive. Well, first of all, that number is not quite correct. Um, but second, we have over 600,000 American deaths. It really doesn't matter what the survival rate is when you have that kind of death burden. Um, it's You can't possibly say that this didn't matter um, or that the risks aren't real. So I, I really do encourage vaccination. Um, it is the safest way to get to immunity um, that we have. So that that's good. We know we uh... Uh, could not cover every question. And maybe as you're watching this all staff webinar today, you've thought of additional questions. And uh, we um, have asked uh, Amber, and she's been kind enough to say, I will help you respond to those questions um, after the fact. You can send those to BFTS, as in bright from the start, BFTS research at decal.ga.gov. That's BFTS 
research at decal.ga.gov. Send us any questions you may have, maybe some you've thought of even the, uh, this afternoon, and uh, we will get those uh, to Dr. Schmitke and uh, get a response back to you. Uh, Dr. Schmitke, it's been great talking with you today. Um, looking forward to maybe all of us being in person the next time we get together and uh, only good things happening here for the remainder of 2021. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And it was great talking with Dr. Amber Schmidtke about employees returning to the new normal. That's what we're planning for here at DECAL in the not-too-distant future, and we appreciate her spending time with us. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Kristen Getz, and I work in the Instructional Supports Division in Savannah. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, where is your ideal Georgia weekend getaway, and what would you do there? Thank you, Kristen, for um, that question. Um, you know, weekends are definitely an important time to definitely try to get away with the family and leave work behind. Savannah is a great place to go, for sure, so you're lucky that you live there. Um, I would say... Um, for me, for a weekend getaway would be Lake Oconee. Um, I'm very fortunate that my parents actually live there. And so we have access um, to the lake there and to a boat. And um, this summer, we're going to plan on teaching my kids to ski. Um, they also like to tube. So it's just a fun, easy drive, um, especially from Atlanta to do over the weekend. And it's just a really beautiful lake in a, a beautiful small town um, in Eatonton, Georgia. Nice. You know, we just came back from Jekyll and I have Jekyll's have nice. not been there in a while. And I've got to tell you, it is beautiful. So it I highly is. recommend anywhere really along uh, the, what do they call it? The Golden Coast? The Golden the, Coast. Yeah. yeah. They've done a great job down in Jekyll. It is beautiful down mm-hmm. there. Not too, not overgrown with, you know, condos, but just enough nice places to stay and nice restaurants. Yeah. No. But I'm with you. I, I think I'm a little jealous of living in Savannah. That must be nice. Yeah, yeah Savannah's a good weekend getaway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time for the decal download quiz and your chance at winning a nice prize from Chick-fil-A, Children's Museum of Atlanta, College Football Hall of Fame, Gwinnett Stripers, The School Box, Six Flags, Stars and Stripes, Stone Mountain Park, The Roof and Skyline Park at Pont City Market, Wild Adventure Theme Park, the Wren's Nest, and the Georgia Lottery. You could win a nice prize from one of those great community partners. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. When do the access scholarships from the CAPS program end? When do the access scholarships from the CAPS program end? Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers and you will be our winner. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.